Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer joins us to discuss the NBA draft and all of the early entries. And also we discuss the top five front office moves in Charlotte Hornets history and this. Miller time. It's coming in hot Miller time. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. It's Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. Walker Mail, Doug Branson coming at you now three days a week, usually a daily show, but given the pandemic, we're coming at you three days a week. And when we do, we often have Rick Bennell on with us, who still is making his weekly appearance. You can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Rick, thanks so much once again for the time. Always enjoy it. How are you? I'm great. Hey, um, over the weekend, I was listening to your Wednesday podcast out on the Greenway. Mm-hmm. And I noticed your, I noticed that day you started with, um, a discussion of how Rick was right. And I was just thinking, what a great way to introduce every single podcast going forward. <laughs> I mean, you were absolutely right about Space Jam. Everybody else thought you were right. And here I was thinking that Space Jam still held up and nobody respects it. I thought that it was something that a lot of people would enjoy. I thought it was fine being a one seed. Even Doug backed me up on its importance in Charlotte Hornets history. And yet here you are coming in immediately saying, no, that's ridiculous. And the fans agreed with you. Rick. Well, hold on, hold on. Is, is it correct? Or is it, did he have his finger on the pulse? Rick, did you have your finger on the pulse of what was popular? Cause yes, you won the popular vote, uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're right or wrong. It just means that you were popular. Doug, I don't know. Cause once I heard Rick was right, I didn't pay attention to anything else. <laughs> it's Rick Bennell who is correct. That is joining us here on the lockdown Hornets podcast. Rick, let's get into some of the breaking news coming across the NBA and at least some of the, uh, the questions surrounding the NBA as it stands right now, a lot of early entries uh, in the NBA draft. We're not exactly sure when the NBA draft is going to um, be held. I saw that Bobby Marks talked about how June 25th is probably far more ambitious than what is actually going to take place. It'll probably be pushed back. Uh, Just first of all, we'll talk a a little bit about the NBA draft, but what do you make of all the early entries in the NBA draft amidst the pandemic? You know, I thought that the NCA and the NBA who don't usually work very well together um, really came up with a very sensible middle ground a few years ago when they allowed um, underclassmen to have multiple opportunities to test the water, to pull out. I think there was an understanding that for a lot of these kids, it was just like a dry, it was just a dry run. It was like taking a PSAT, you know, where you could do a workout, you could interview with a team, you could, you know, for a couple of weeks assess your potential value. But you knew at the end of the day, like with, like what Luke May did a few couple of years ago, it was more than anything a chance to sort of practice for when your name would really be in the draft, when you would leave it in there. Um, in that context, I found it just bizarre uh, that 205 early entry candidates have made themselves available for a draft with 60 people. I mean, maybe you could make the argument that that makes sense in a different year, but during this pandemic, um, I think that there's at best 
the um, the combine will look very different than it was, and maybe might not exist at all. Um, it is there's a strong possibility that teams will not be allowed to bring players in for individual workouts. Um, in other words, that that window that normally lines up as far as you checking things out and without um, passing the deadline to re, you know to get back your NCAA eligibility. That doesn't line up with this year. And so when I was looking at that list in bed last night on my email from the league, I just kept shaking my head thinking to myself, does somebody from Western Carolina or UNC Greensboro really think this is a good idea? Well, and Rick, I was talking with Paul Biancardi about this very thing a couple of weeks ago, and surprisingly, he actually thought this kind of thing might happen because these prospects aren't getting any negative feedback in return and therefore leaving their names into the NBA draft consideration. I'm with you, though. I'm surprised to see all of these names. I thought this would be a year where there's actually a lot more people staying in college, but 205, do you see that point or are you still extremely surprised to see that kind of number um, even with no negative feedback really coming in an abundance of level like it did uh, in prior years? I think that number is absolutely insane. I think if, if half, I mean, if you, if you edit out the, you know, the, the European pros, you know, half the kids who have any remaining college eligibility shouldn't even be thinking about leaving their names in. And, and I hope that the shock value of, how little attention they're going to get over the next week or two is going to register on them and have them scurrying to, you know, to get a second letter to the NBA. It just doesn't make any sense at all. You know, the NBA, and while I think this is going to change, I think it's going to be modified. The NBA is really strict right now about how little you can actually do in terms of draft preparation. They did not want agents, um, you know, like sending videos of, of players working out now to teams. So they told teams not to look at them. You know, that, that Tua video that, you know, showed up before the NFL draft, those aren't allowed. And while I think that there will be some modification as far as what teams do, um, agents or parents or college coaches um, really need to have some very blunt conversation with some of these kids because what they're doing right now looks really foolish. What kind of problem does the NBA have on its hands having to decide whether the regular season will be over and done with, as well as the odds for some of these teams that will miss the playoffs to go into the, again, the NBA lottery? What kind of problems does the NBA have on its hands trying to figure out uh, what the odds should be entering the NBA draft? You know, Walker, this is just my opinion. It's, it's not reporting, but um, I if there are any regular season games, I think that all 30 teams have to participate in them. You know, somebody threw out an idea to me on Twitter last night that, you know, maybe they could just have some regular season games involving teams that the NBA views as still being in playoff contention. I don't think that's a practical solution. I think you either have to, you either have to play some or all of whatever's left of the regular season schedule and have them all participate or you just need to take the standings as they are right now and start the playoffs. Um, I don't know about you. I, I know you talked about this briefly on your, on your radio show this morning. I was taken aback by what Steve Kerr said. 
I wasn't taken aback that the Warriors are perceiving this as the offseason, but I was really surprised that Steve would say for public consumption that they, as far as he was concerned, the, the regular season's over because that is certainly not how the league is viewing it. Um, well, there's going to be a real, there's going to be a real difference of opinion between business side and basketball operations going forward because business side is, is facing the potentially having to pay some TV revenue back to the local regional sports networks and they want to avoid that like crazy. Well, and, and you mentioned Steve Kerr one. I feel like Golden State has kind of been checked out of the season forever anyway. <laughs> they're they're going to be yep. NBA but, but there's a difference between There's a difference between acting that way and actually yeah. saying it. <laughs> right. And public, yes, publicly acknowledging, hey, we're bad. We're going to operate as if the offseason is already here. Uh, Rick, what did you make of the NBA's decision, at least initially, to allow teams to return to team facilities as states loosen their social distancing guidelines. And then you see the NBA teams push back pretty much within a 24-hour period. And just as an example, Travis Schlink of the Atlanta Hawks saying, hey, we're, we're going to wait a couple of weeks just to see how this goes. What did you make of that entire process of first saying, okay, you can return to team facilities and then getting the backlash and saying within 24 hours, okay, never mind, we'll wait a little bit. I think it's a really good idea that there are people whose first concern is safety and not just safety for the players, but safety, safety for all the staff who would have to be in the training facilities, whether they are or are not in arenas, um, to, for that to function. Everybody wants to give players a way to stay in shape because right now, you know, I talked to Bismarck Biombo, um, the other day for, for a story. You know, and, and he's he's like the biggest workout warrior among the Hornets. And their training people have devised all things, that all kinds of interesting things that he can do, you know, with a cowbell at home. And he's he's on a he's on a bike around out, out and about on Charlotte an hour a day. He's doing everything he can to stay in shape. But that's not anything like having an NBA weight room and a basketball court. Um, so I understand the the tensions as far as wanting to get players back. But like everything in our society today, safety and health has to trump anything. And so I like the idea that they're being very deliberate. The other thing that is kind of interesting, I think, Chris Mannix from Sports Illustrated pointed this out. If, if different states are, are reopening for business on very different schedules, what are you going to do about competitive balance? Um, what are you going to do if a playoff contender in one state has been told your players can't leave their houses and in another state it's wide open? You're going to have an issue there, potentially. You brought up your interview with Bismack Biombo before we go to the Hidden Hornets history. Uh, your interview with Bismack, I thought was interesting, Rick. It, 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 you wrote about him bringing his six siblings to his home as soon as the pandemic threatened society as we know it today. What were some of the things that you took away from that interview with Bismack and why he acted so quickly to do that? You know, Biz is the ultimate, you know, overcome, um, overcome obstacles guy. Uh, you know, I mean, we're talking about somebody who describes his, his early life as, you know, he and his brothers that he's got, he's got six siblings Three brothers are the ones, he's the oldest one, and then three boys are closest to his age, and there are three girls who are younger than that, all the way down to 15 years old. He's got all six of them, 
in this country um, for schooling, and he collected them all together. He had them all move, uh, move to Charlotte um, to ride this out in his house. I thought it was so cool that Biz took it upon himself to say to people, look, don't veg out in front of video games every day. If you're a young guy, use this as an opportunity to better yourself. And he wasn't just talking about athletes. He was saying, you know, read a book, um, do something that makes you more useful to society. Do something that makes yourself more marketable eventually. Um, you know, he was saying, you know, in, in extreme times like this, people end up, you know, either bettering themselves or being worse off than they were to begin with. And I thought that that was really wise advice, which kind of segs to something else about Biz. Um, you know, he's become kind of by default, I think, the most marketable free agent on the Hornets roster. And um, I'd really like to see him back here if there's a way that they can work that out financially, because with Marvin gone and with Kemba gone, um, and to a lesser degree with MKG gone, um, there's a vacuum of mentors and, and senior leadership on this team. And Biz sort of took that up the second half of this season after Marvin and MKG took buyouts. I, I thought it was interesting because it would be completely reasonable if he wanted to sign with a contender now for him to say he was very receptive to the idea of riding this out to see how these young guys, you know, end up. I thought that was a cool point of view, and I think that I hope Mitch Kupchak, you know, puts some credence in the value of that because you do not want a locker room that's so young that there is nobody to learn from. More from Rick ahead, including Hidden Hornets history. But first, if you're ordering out, you have to use our favorite app that's called Postmates. If you're like me, you probably start thinking about what to eat for dinner while you're eating lunch. I love food. That's why I love using Postmates. They deliver food from every restaurant that I can think of right to my door. But Postmates doesn't just deliver burgers and sushi. They actually make my life easier with grocery delivery and essentially whatever I can think of delivery as well. Convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. If it's open, Postmates is delivering. So no more trips to the store, no more late night fast food runs. I don't even have to worry about where to grab lunch anymore. Uh, just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android. Find your favorites and get everything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving our listeners $100 of free credit, free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. That's minimum purchase. Anything you need, anytime you need it, Postmate it. This is Locked on Hornets. Have you ever had that one little bug that's just like, it's not completely out, but it's like kind of dangling in there, and then you try to sniff it back up to go away for good, but it just, it'll, it'll keep popping back. That's what I'm going through right now. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. It's probably our favorite thing every single week. We have Rick Bennell's Hidden Hornets history with different topics, such as the true story on Alonzo Mourning leaving the Hornets organization, the true story on how the Hornets acquired Lance Stevenson. We went through the top five coaches in Hornets history, but now, according to Rick Bennell, it's time to go through the five best front office moves in Charlotte Hornets history. Rick, number five, we'll start backwards as we always do. What is the fifth best front office move in Hornets history, according to you? Well, 
I will say up front that this list is very subjective. On the other hand, as this show has said, you know, Rick's right. So yeah, this is definitive. There's no arguing with this. This is what it is. This is the list that we're we're not taking any other. We're not taking any other suggestions. This is what it is. So not only according to Rick, I need to stop saying that. What is definitively the fifth best front office move in Hornets history? Number five. Signing Brad Miller as an undrafted free agent. (laughs) Yes. Miller time. It's coming in hot. Miller time. A couple of different jerseys, and they both were jerseys that I cheer for. Why is Brad Miller the fifth best front office move uh, in Hornets history, Rick? Well, you know, obviously he moved on before he showed his very best, but it was just so obvious when he was at a rookie that you just kept saying, kept scratching your head saying, what the hell was the league thinking not drafting him out of Purdue? I once asked a really close friend of mine who scouted for two NBA teams for 25 years. I said, what the hell did you guys miss about Brad Miller? And I thought his answer was really interesting. What Brad did at Purdue better than anything is got himself fouled. He was, he was amazing at generating free throw attempts. And what this guy told me was that there was a misgiving around the league that he was athletic enough that the things that he did so well at Purdue would translate to the NBA. What Brad did as an NBA center is exact same thing he did in the big 10. And it translated perfectly to a point that he ended up a two-time all-star. Two-time all-star once for the Indiana Pacers, once for the Sacramento Kings, Brad Miller coming in at number five, Rick, what is the fourth best move in Hornets history? Okay, this one's going to take a bit of explanation. Zoe traded salvaging value in getting back Glenn Rice. I think we have one host here and Doug Branson that would agree with you. That's a top five and maybe even the best move. Doug is a big fan of that particular move. Why are you a fan of that move, Rick? Well, I think people need to remember, we've talked with this before, Bob Bass was under so much duress. And I told you the funny story about how he threatened to trade him to the Clippers um, to get Zoe to back off when Zoe was saying that the Heat was going to have to give up too much to get get his rights. Um, Bob was terrific, and I think this is because he was a former ABA general manager who you know who understood the art of the possible. Um, Bob was terrific in keeping them competitive on limited funds, and if Glenn Rice had not come back in the Zoe trade, I don't know what the next decade of Hornets basketball would have been like. I mean, you know, you can argue that Glenn and Zoe are three of the best people ever to put on that, that best um, basketball players ever to put on that uniform. Yeah, it was the first domino to fall in a quite a few dominoes that allowed the Hornets to be good by acquiring another all-star. It, it's incredible. We talk about it frequently on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, but man, you know, that's the first one that had to fall, salvaging value from losing Alonzo Mourning. And, Go and, ahead, and, well, and another thing too that, that I always point out is it's we have we have historical precedents to look back on now, but I think it's generally assumed that when a big star wants to force his way out of an organization, it typically doesn't work out extremely well for the team that he's trying to force his way out of because it's so difficult to move that star and also get back the the necessary value. And so the fact that the Hornets 
it was sort of you know one of the I mean you said it, Rick. I mean it was one of the first situations where a where where a star comes and says I I don't want to be here anymore, and then th- they have to sort of react to that. So the Hornets didn't have that historical precedence, and they managed to bring back uh, a three-time All Star in Glenn Rice. I just think it's exceptional. You know, Doug, when you say that, I'll give you a real a recent example of what you're talking about. Um, Walker, help me with this. Who's the left tackle from the Redskins who just got traded to the 49ers? It, it's Trent Williams. When you look at the fact that that was that good a player at that important a position, you know, the, the Redskins ultimately just had to take whatever they could get. And that kind of demonstrates how hard it is to get fair value back in return for a great player. I love Bob Bass, man. I could talk about Bob Bass forever, you know, and then salvaging value, trying to just shed that huge LJ contract and getting back Anthony Mason, watching him in one of the rewatches that we did the other day. Just fantastic stuff. All right, we'll move on uh, to the third best front office move in Hornets history. Rick, what is number three? Signing Al Jefferson as a free agent. Yeah, I would agree with this. I, we talked about this. Al Jefferson, the best, I think, free agent signing in Hornets history. Rick, why do you think he's number three? First of all, the only the only other person, other two people that even come to mind as good free agent signings are obviously Marvin, and even though he didn't stick around beyond a one season, Jeremy Lin. That's just about yeah. it. That's the whole list for all practical purposes. Al. <laughs> um, and by the way, Kemba did a fantastic job because they shared an agent of recruiting Ale, of convincing him how serious they were about wanting him here. Um, there's a really cute story about the day that the Hornets introduced Ale here. Um, because it was like, you know, and, and this illustrates how unlikely it seemed at the time that the Hornets would sign anybody of significance and free agent. Kelly Bardick asked um, Al Jefferson at the introductory press conference, hey, why would you want to come to this little town? And Al is from a place called Prentice, um, Mississippi, please. And Al <laughs> yeah. said, he used the word ma'am, which was so cool and so Southern. He said, ma'am, if you ever came to my hometown, it's pretty, it's population is pretty much the people in this room. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember did, talking I just to Al. It was great. I remember talking with Al about that whole process. He, it was really an awesome interview that we did with myself, Doug, and, and Nada was a part of that interview. It was great. And he shared some of that same sentiment. Really cool. Al Jefferson, the only All-NBA selection that ever wore a Charlotte Bobcat uniform, comes in at number three on your list. Love the selection. All right, Rick, what's number two on the best Hornets front office move in uh, Charlotte history? Del Curry, first pick in the expansion draft. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that one. Yeah, all-time leading score from an improbable place, a guy that comes from an expansion draft. Incredible. Rick, why do you think he's number two? Carl Shear was looking, you know, if you remember, like, they were in this, you know, they and Miami were coming into the league simultaneously. One of the teams was going to get the first pick in the expansion draft, and the other one was going to get the higher pick in the rookie draft. And Carl Shear came to the conclusion, if you remember the backstory, um, the Cavs were the deepest team in the league, and they had a decision. They either had to not protect Dell or not protect um, Elo. And Elo had just come off that playoff series when he had guarded Jordan quite well. <laughs> yeah. And, and so Dell was left dangling, and... 
kind of the same way that it was so obvious in the second expansion draft, where it was obvious that Gerald Wallace was a, was had a much better you know ceiling than than ninety percent of the you know of the people in that expansion draft. Dell was so clearly a better player both then and you know his his potential going forward than anybody else in that expansion draft. And Carl really locked in on that. And I think it's absurd when you think about it, considering that by definition, people who are made available in the expansion draft are throwaways. It's absurd that for so long, Dell retained that record as the all-time leading scorer for this team. Yeah. No, it's nuts. And I immediately go back to the Last Dance documentary, one of the most recent episodes we got. Ron Harper pleading to guard Michael Jordan. Instead, they put Craig Elo. Perhaps if they decided to keep Del Curry instead of Craig Elo, Ron Harper would have been guarding Michael Jordan, not making a difference. And then MJ would have hit, quote, the shot on Ron Harper. And he wouldn't be cursing on the Last Dance doc instead of saying, you know, and saying that I should have been the one guarding him. It really is incredible. Expansion guy comes in and is the all-time franchise scorer for this team. It's incredible. Deserves to be number two. There is pretty clearly to me a number one option here for the Hornets. Rick, what do you think that number one option should be when it comes to pretty the best? By default, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is pretty obvious, but needs to be said. Rick, share with the people what's should, the number wait, one. Wait, wait. Should we should we ahead, guess? Doug. Should we get? Because I have a guess. Okay, I have a guess. I think it's selecting. Well, J- I, know it, I think ahead. it's selecting Jason Capono in the 2004 expansion draft. No, you, that I, was, that I was six. Believe, <laughs> I cannot believe that you ignored signing Lance. <laughs> <laughs> signing Lance, signing Jason Capono, perhaps both honorable mention. Uh, Rick, what's number one? Spill the beans. Draft Kemba Walker, ninth overall. Now, you know what's funny about this, and this was a bump for us for a long time. It's the fact that it did take them two selections in from seven and nine, they took Bismack Miyambo seven and they took Kemba nine. So they almost even screwed up the best move in Hornets history, but they didn't. They selected Kemba Walker and Rick, of course, it became to be the best move in Hornets history. Well, what I would say about what you just said, Walker, yeah. find somebody to love you the way that Rich Cho loved Bismack Biombo. <laughs> <laughs> he was obsessed with the guy. <laughs> I think we're all becoming um, that in Biz's second life, but they eventually settled on Kimba. You know, Rick, what are some of the reasons? And man, you know, how, how close were they, you know, just to kind of even further explore that, how much of a possibility was it that, you know, Kimba was not going to be a Bobcat? I mean, how much did they consider another player maybe to select at number nine rather than Kimba Walker? I, I don't know so much about what you just asked me as far as alternatives. <laughs> what I know is that, Every time Michael would watch Kemba play, you remember, you know, from the start of the Big East tournament to the end of the NCAA tournament, I mean, I don't know how many people you, I mean, maybe Danny Manning and the, you know, Manningettes, as they were called in Kansas, but Kemba personally dragged that UConn team to the finish line for, you know, four weeks. And I remember hearing about how Michael, he, he didn't dictate this to his people, but he kept saying, I see something in that guy's mental makeup that reminds me of me. And, and you know, he was, obviously, he was very right. Um, you know, it's, it's wild. You know, when you think about this, what didn't make this list? 
um, was re-signing Kemba to that ridiculously cost-effective contract, which, absurd as this sounds, fans were second-guessing whether they had overpaid him. And it turned out to be one of the biggest bargains in, in modern NBA history. It was a gamble that Rich Cho took that actually he you know came back and won instead of some of the other gambles that he took, and, and it did not go in Rich Cho's favor. Those are the top five moves in Hornets front office history, according to Rick Bennell, and they are definitive. We are not taking suggestions. This is it. I'm not going to have any other answers. These are the top five, and that's how it shall stand. It's Rick Bennell from the Charlotte Observer. You can find him on Twitter at Rick underscore Bennell. Thank you so much, Rick. We always enjoy it. We'll talk with you next week. Do a thing, guys. This is fun. Final segment to go here on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked on Hornets. And the Google description here says on contracts made before June, where the wheat is deliverable in December, either wheat of the grades named or numbered, <laughs> B shares Batik of New York, N.B.A. So take that for what you will. It's a lot of information I just threw at you. I apologize. What was the grade? The, yeah, the wheat was graded uh, C minus. Let's get them on. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. I miss Nada. I want Nada back after hearing his voice. I want Nada to join the show. Why don't you make that happen, Doug? Let's. Uh, I'm going to put you two. <laughs> I just. I just barked and order. Yeah, you. just give know. me a job. I mean, geez. I mean, I got stuff to do. I've got. I've got things that I have on my plate right uh, now. Make that happen. No, I like hearing Nada's voice. I also like this game that we started playing during the break. So we liked Rick Bennell's segment. He talked about Del Curry, the second best front office move in Hornets history selecting Del Curry in the expansion draft. And Del Curry would go on, I believe, to win at least one six-man-of-the-year award. He would go on to lead the franchise in total points scored forever until Kimba Walker broke it. And, of course, Kimba's draft selection would be number one among the top five front office moves in Hornets history. But it led us to a game and trying to figure out and guessing who the other players were selected in a lot of different expansion drafts. We didn't even stop at the Hornets. That's where it first started. Hey, Let's guess some of the other players that were selected in that 88 and 04 expansive draft for the Hornets and, uh, and the Bobcats. But then we started doing it for the Heat. We started doing it for the Timberwolves. This is fun. Doug, where do you want to start in this crazy game? this crazy rabbit hole that we have explored. Uh, dude, I am all the way down the rabbit hole right now in this 88 <laughs> expansion draft. So so Curry was the first selection by the Charlotte Hornets in the 88 expansion draft, but they were also expansion drafting with another team, the Miami Heat. The Miami Heat actually had the very first pick in this expansion draft, but they did not select Del Curry. They instead selected Arvid Kramer. And if you don't know that name, uh, don't, uh, don't be shocked uh, because he has the distinction of being the only player in NBA history to be selected twice in an expansion draft, but never play for the teams that he was selected by. So that's a, that's a hell of a record that's incredible. to have. Here's, that's incredible. here's why he was selected by the Miami Heat. This is incredible. So the Miami Heat, the Dallas Mavericks, who Arvid, uh, I guess the rights to Arvid were with Dallas at the time. The Dallas Mavericks didn't did not want the Miami Heat to select uh, Steve Alford or Bill Winnington, who were left unprotected. So they offered Miami Heat the rights to Arvid Kramer and their first choice in the college draft. So they bribed Miami so that they wouldn't select Alford or Winnington. They bribed Miami with the first round pick in the college wow. draft to select Arvid. That's incredible. 
And we don't know who the first round pick. Did we get further down the rabbit hole to find that out? Because that is insane. I think you would take that bribe 10 times out of 10 if your options were Steve Alford and Bill Winnington. Yeah, I'll look that up. 1988 draft. But then um, let me tell you this first before I look that up. So the next pick, uh, the fourth pick, the fourth overall pick, the second selection by the Charlotte Hornets, Dave Hoppen. <laughs> oh, that's our boy. Dave Hoopen. The Hopper. The Hopper. The Hooper. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. Uh, and then, oh, then the next pick, the next pick was uh, a pretty good one as well. Guy you might have heard of, Muggsy Bogues. Got him from the Washington Bullets. I have heard that name. I like how you said pretty good one as well. I just put immediately in my mind, uh, in addition to Dave Hoppin, not Del Curry, you said as well. I just pretty much put it as uh, in addition to Dave Hoppin. So yeah, Muggsy Bogues and Del Curry, if I were to guess some of the players that were selected in that expansion draft, those would have been the two easy ones. I would have been able to get Del Curry. I would have been able to get um, the Hornets at least getting Muggsy Bogues or Muggsy Bogues being a part of that because they did that. Um, they did that Baltimore High School thirty for thirty. I forget what it. I think it was Dunbar, if I'm not mistaken. But that was pretty cool. Doug, you found the information as far as the '88 first round pick for the Mavericks that went to the Miami Heat. Yeah, this. I love this third segment. We're just going all the way down the rabbit hole here. Uh, I don't so know where we are. the Miami Heat do get the 20th selection. They pick Kevin Edwards out of DePaul. A, a nobody, um, but they passed on. Let me give you some names they passed on in this draft: Brian Shaw. They passed on Vinny Del Negro. They passed on Tom Tolbert. They passed on. Let's go, Keith Smart, forty-first in this draft. They yep. passed on Vernon Maxwell, forty-seventh in this draft. Oh, How about nice. this name? Fiftieth in the eighty-eight draft, Steve Kerr. Wow. Excellent. Wait a minute. Uh, I think I oh, they also passed 53rd. How about this name? Right below Steve Kerr, 53rd on the list. Anthony Mason out of Tennessee State. <laughs> Wait a minute. You found the piece of gold. We were looking for it. Steve Kerr was kind of more of a was a little bit less. This is like six degrees of uh, Kevin Bacon. <laughs> and we finally found it. It was Anthony Mason. That's how you make a story local again. That's how we tie everything together. Uh, you wanted to go to the or uh, four expansion draft. Yeah, I made the joke the about right. you know Jason Capono being selected in, and Jason Capono is no joke. He was awesome. He was a great three point shooter. Uh, a little I before, I think a little before his time, right? Capono is probably a value, um, even more valuable piece now, right? Oh yeah, I mean, I think he's. Everybody likes to go to Steve Novak. How about Jason Capono? I wonder if Capono is the Steve Novak before Steve Novak. Uh, Capono was the one guy when when I would play with the Bobcats on on an NBA video game. Capono was the guy that I was taking the shot with. I'll just say that. Uh, How many three point contests did he win? It was multiple, correct? I, I know. I, I thought that he won one. I love how much work I am wow, throwing man, at. Jeez, fantastic! Get Nada on. Find me the nineteen eighty eight Dallas Mavericks first round draft pick, and tell me how many three point contests Jason Capono won in his time in the NBA. That is the pandemic special. This is the perfect pandemic special version of the locked on Hornets having you go through all of this nonsense. I'm loving every bit of this, Doug. He was a two-time NBA three-point contest champion in 2007 and 2008. He also tied Mark Price's record. Again, going back to the local angle here, Mark Price was a assistant coach under Steve Clifford, shooting coach. He tied the record for most points in a final round of the three-point contest. So there's your Jason Capono facts. Uh, yeah, I can give you uh, a few great names from this uh, draft, this expansion draft by the Bobcats. Would you like to guess a few? I would like to try to guess a few. So, Go of course, it. Emeka was selected in the college draft. That's correct. Uh, just heard about Gerald Wallace. Gerald Wallace was a selector in the expansion draft. That's correct. Uh, 
And I think Rick was right, by the way. Like when I remember Gerald, even then thinking pretty highly of him, like it was still a gamble. You didn't know that Gerald was going to be even an average basketball player, I think, but still had enough tools, like did some nice things with Sacramento where you're like, yeah, you know, this, this is a pretty interesting guy. Like I feel good about him compared to other expansion draft players. Well, and Gerald Wallace, I think peak Gerald Wallace better than peak Del Curry. I mean, you, you know, Del Curry, the better overall, you get the better overall product because he was with the organization for so long. He scored a lot of points and uh, now he's an ambassador of the team. But I think, you know, just a player to player comparison, I think that Pete Gerald Wallace, the all-star better than any particular Curry season. I got irrationally mad when they did the redraftables on the ringer, which has been a great podcast. I've loved listening to it. Um, but it was Zach Lowe, I believe, and it was Bill Simmons, and it was the Gerald Wallace draft. I forget what year it was, but they had Gerald Wallace way low. And then I think they came across his name or like, hey, this is a really good player in his time. This was actually pretty good. And Doug, they talked about his like bad eating habits. Do you remember that? I, I didn't remember that Gerald Wallace apparently had well-known bad eating habits and that when he was aging, people thought he was really going to age poorly. And he did kind of fall off of a cliff. I didn't remember that about Gerald. Well, he was, uh, to be fair, he was on it. Wasn't he on it on one of the teams with Boris DL? So, you know, if one guy, <laughs> if one guy, on, I've been wrong on this show a lot lately. So now I'm just going to start prefacing things with, uh, you know, wasn't he, wasn't he on that? You know, just uh, that's I what like I like that. No question. Question everything. If you, <laughs> if you end everything like Ron Burgundy, then you can't tie yourself to a specific. Okay. Opinion. Rapid fire. Give me some names before we got to go. Give me some names from this expansion draft. Melvin Eli. no. Tamar Slay. That is correct. Uh, Primoz Brizek. That is correct. Uh, I'm tapped out and we don't have enough time. What's Lonnie that? Baxter is a name you oh, might recognize. From the while he had played two years with the Wizards to that Won a point. championship with Maryland, of course. Mon yes. Dixon, Steve Blake. Hey, how about this? Well, Jahidi White. You remember Jahidi White. Yes, I do. I do remember him. Washington Wizard as well. The Marcus Pfizer. What a man. Whew. Oh, I didn't know that. I forgot about Pfizer. Yeah, yeah got, got got him from the Bulls after four years. Pfizer was, I think, what didn't the Bulls think he was going to be a big deal? And well, he, they drafted him early. I mean, yeah, that was yeah. you know they drafted a million big men. Eddie Curry. They traded Elton Brand. They got you know Tyson Chandler. Yeah, I mean they thought, it, and he was really good at Iowa State with the Jamal Tinsley team as well. So here's the last name that I recognize on this list: uh, Zaza Pachulia. Yes, that's a Rick fat. Rick likes to bring that fact up that he was, I think he was, he was a guy that had been in the NBA longer than really any other expansion pick for the Bobcats and was longer than. Well, um, probably had been playing basketball longer, but really only one year in the NBA for the Orlando Magic to that point. But he'd probably been playing overseas for quite a while. May have been well, one. No, of he was. He mentioned, sorry, he mentioned that he was still in the league. Like we had this conversation oh, two yes. years ago and that he played, that he was still in the league and everybody else had kind of found their way out of it. Yeah, so the Bobcats, if you don't remember Pachulia, that's because uh, the Bobcats traded Pachulia to the Milwaukee Bucks where he would play um, twice, right? He went away and then came back, I think. Um, I think that is correct. In exchange, see, again, I'm ending it with a yeah. question. I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> I said, I think I'm not going to go all in on it. I'm pretty sure you're right, though. Uh, they traded Zaza in exchange for the 45th pick in the 2004 draft. I already have that pulled up. I was ready for that one. And that was Bernard Robinson out of Michigan. That pick did not turn into anything. Uh, but really, there was nothing below Bernard Robinson. It's not like they they passed on anyone of any note. Uh, so... 
probably keeping Pachulia may have been the better move, but then instead they get the 45th pick. Um, yeah, they, they didn't have a the Trevor Reza was two picks before that though to the Knicks. So that would that was a, a near miss. All right, that's all the expansion draft, man. What a show we did today! Oof. Like, I like that we that's had the awesome. structure with Rick. The last segment, I mean, we just basically vomited all over the mic. Well, let's just say I think it's a good show. <laughs> it's the Lockdown Hornets podcast presented by the Lockdown Podcast Network. Make sure you follow us on Twitter once again at Walker Mail at Doug Branson LOH, and you can find our show handle at Lockdown Hornets. We'll be back with you on Friday. Well, we'll be back tomorrow. See, you you should have said I think we'll be back tomorrow because we missed we'll be Monday. Back on Friday. We're going to come back to you tomorrow and we're going to be back with you on Friday. It's going to be a fantastic week on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, I think. Um.